It's the Beer Vana Show, broadcast almost live in Portland on X-Ray FM and in Vancouver at KXRW, or available anywhere on your favorite podcast service. I am your host, Patrick Emerson, Professor of Economics at Oregon State University, and with me is my sidekick, Jeff Allworth. He's an author of several books, including the Beer Bible. Hey, Jeff. Hey, as a sidekick, shouldn't I have like one of those things that makes like fart noises? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're here for the uh, comedy interjections. Exactly. And I'm here for the for the content. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just thought I'd throw that, throw that in. Because we know who really drives this pod. <laughs> I know nothing, but am all important. As I was saying, we are here in southeast Portland at Gigantic Brewing. You can probably hear the atmospheric noise. We're in the the tasting room. Yeah, we're sort we're, of not really in the champagne lounge. Right, that's the, right. We're in the spillover. We're the, the barrel new, room. Yeah, the barrel room. The barrel room. It has a few barrels. It does. Which is apropos of today's market. Some barrels, but not a lot. Yep. Uh... Okay, so we're here for part two of our interview with Ben Love and Van Havig of Gigantic <laughs> Brewing, the two uh, co-owners, founders of the brewery, uh, on their 10th anniversary and also on the opening of their third location, which is now a full restaurant, tap room, brew pub, I guess you call it. but It's a brew pub, yeah. Without brewing. Right. Well, yeah, that's right. So <laughs> there's I that. guess it's a pub. There's yeah. <laughs> Uh, on Hollywood Boulevard and uh, we talked to them last podcast have a listen uh, about the 10th anniversary and about the evolution of their brewery and the market and all that and their opening of the pubs today we switched uh, topics and talked about today I guess same day but we switched topics and talked about the headwinds I guess the, the current market craft beer what's going on the challenges that are going on uh, and how to weather them as a brewery and we talked about that generally in a, in a pod not too long ago, but this is more of a ground level, how is it, how is it hitting you guys as brewers? Yeah, I was really, I proposed this in fact, because we've talked, you and I have talked in general about what's going on. We read the news stories about increasing ingredients prices, about the difficulty of buying aluminum cans and so on and so forth. Totally. But we haven't really talked to anyone on the ground about how they're coping with these pressures and... And it varies brewery by brewery sure. because you've got uh, breweries that carry leverage, you've got breweries that don't carry leverage, you have breweries that sell 80% of their beer in package, you have breweries that sell 80% of their beer in draft at the brewery. Right. So there's like a lot of different situations. So we were curious, how's it landing with Gigantic? Yeah, and Van and Ben are old enough, experienced enough, have worked at different enough places that they really have a lot of perspective. So I think it was a really good conversation. I, I think it was a delightful conversation. So shall we play it for our listeners? Well, maybe we should do the news first. Ah, but first, let's do the news. <laughs> In our first item, uh, Chicago Tribune reporter Josh Noel, who friend of the pod, who yes, friend of the pod, who we interviewed in show one thirty four, had an alarming piece a couple of weeks back about the state of uh, brewery health, and it was focused mostly on Chicago, not surprisingly. Um, once an insight came from James Moriarty, who shut down his brewery this year. Taproom sales were strong, he said, but distribution, but distributing cans and kegs became a losing game. Sales didn't support the cost of distribution, uh, which Urban Brew Labs, the brewery he shut down, handled itself, including the cost of gas, drivers, and vehicles, and taproom sales couldn't sustain the entire operation. And one of the reasons I wanted to throw this in there is because it sort of sets up our conversation. Exactly today. what we're going to talk to Ben, ben and Ben about. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, breweries are really feeling the pinch, and I think we're going to hear more and more uh, breweries close or 
hear about the challenges. Yeah, and one of the main things that we talked about or that came out of our discussion today, as you'll hear, is the ability or lack thereof of breweries to affect prices, the price they get from their beer. So that, that'll be an interesting topic. So the tap room is the only place in which you can really do that. Totally. All right, the next story isn't about beer, but it's fascinating and beeronomics adjacent. Portland's Willamette Week, a weekly newspaper, reported in December about ghost kitchens. The story began in 2019 when a Miami-based company purchased a large percentage of local parking lots. They then began setting up food trucks on them, but they were more like mobile catering kitchens for food delivery apps. That's exactly right. They appeared like restaurants online with names like Mr. Beast Burger, Sticky Wings, and Man vs. Fries. They weren't the only group doing this, but the largest. Ultimately, they ran afoul of city health codes and just didn't make much money and seemed to be going out of business. Still, another fascinating COVID-era business model. Remember reading about this when they started popping up? Did you? Yeah, I had never heard of it, and it was so fascinating because it. The Willamette approached it like this. This kind of company was a real outrage. But just having talked to you over the years that we've been doing this podcast, it struck me as a really fascinating kind of. Uh, oppor- you know, it was one of these opportunities, and I saw. Oh, but of course, they found a really cheap way to uh, handle the land issue and like it was just fascinating well I mean, it's I, 100% driven by delivery apps yeah exactly right? so like well these apps are there delivering food from places so let's just go ahead and make a little kitchen and the same the same uh, it'd be like a food cart right but the food yeah. cart wasn't open for people to walk up it was just a food cart it's just a kitchen basically in a parking lot and that same cart might do burgers and also do the I don't know what else you said, but, you know, sticky wings yeah, and stuff like that. It would all artic- be together. The article was very long, and they talked about how they might have up to seven different kinds of food that they would sell. Right. And so it was just like a, yeah, just like a pop-up restaurant kind of model. I thought it was kind of a cool idea, and I think the reason it probably failed is because they were so generic, and there was no sense of place or anything else, and so they didn't really attract a following, which in Portland, we have so many carts and yeah, stuff. Yeah, things have a really following. That's the thing. So. Brand still matters. Uh, reputation matters. And so it's hard just to be something that's just sort of conjured out of thin air Yeah, and to do well, especially in a place like Portland, I think. Totally. Um, I would suspect Portland is a particularly challenging market. Having lived in Denver, I would suspect Denver would be a little much easier market, for example, just... Uh, just to throw Denver under the bus, but um, <laughs> sorry, Denver. But I will say that there is something not too dissimilar in my neighborhood, but it's a fixed location. That's basically one kitchen, and it has like four different entities in it. And, Interesting. And there's so you no, don't have to have four trucks. You just have one truck. Serves like Thai. And this Mexican is actually a fixed location, so it's actually a building. It's okay. actually a real kitchen, but it has yeah, it's like a wings place and a burger place and. Uh, and I think it mostly does, it, there, there's no seating, so it's all takeout, but I think mm-hmm. it mostly does delivery apps. I don't think there's many people actually coming up up to it. Uh, so it is definitely, I think, something that's driven by the delivery app model. Yeah, I think a more adroit company uh, could, particularly given that they really lowered the cost by buying all the, the parking lots in the first place, so they had, they had this space issue figured out. They, I don't think they figured the business out very well, and I think they handled it badly. But I could imagine that scenario working, particularly if you actually devoted some effort to, uh, you know, careful creation of the menu and yeah. building up the brand. And nobody's going to care that you, it's. Yeah, and it's not entirely clear to me that like this isn't just a, a business model for like a six-month 
like I, I create what do you call it, Mr. Beast Burger. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not expecting Mr. Beast Burger to be a <laughs> an ongoing concern. Right. I'll just sell a bunch of burgers. I don't really need to establish a reputation. I don't really need to actually make very good burgers. I just need to like fill the machine. Churn and burn. Yeah. And I wonder how those delivery apps work. I'm sure there are ways in which you can goose your sales by getting your stuff up front. Yeah. I'm sure that's true. By spending money. So. Interesting tale. Yeah. Um, I was, I thought as a economics guy, you'd be interested in it. And it's actually also tangentially relevant to what we're about to talk about. So. Yeah. And it kind of gets back to my ongoing thing, which I think we mentioned on air or maybe off air, but I think maybe on air. I'm not sure. Which is that this idea of beer brands, like, yeah, I could be a brewery and I could just keep revol- evolving my beer brand. I could keep coming up with new beer brands. I think it was after. I think that yeah. super fascinating thing happened after we turned off the mic. Which is so this is way. something relatively similar, right? Like I could just, you know, this is like I create Mr. Beast Burger and for six months I sell burgers to delivery apps. Like I could create, I've got a brewery where I make beer and then for six months I'll call it, you know, uh, like Emerson's Beer. And then six months later, I'll call it Allworth Brewing Company. And then six months later, I'll call it the Portland South Beer Co. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But as we'll talk about, there are downsides. There are downsides. All right, we should move on. All right. So uh, today's topic is about the, the economics of, of craft beer. And we talked to Ben and Van of Gigantic Brewery about their experience and their... Uh, perspective. So, shall we roll tape? Roll tape. All right. So we are back. Yes. With Van Having and Ben Love of Gigantic Brewing Company here in Southeast Portland. Hildy's no longer with us. Hildy she's, has she's, left. She's in a crate. To contemplate being quiet. To contemplate the error of her ways. Yes. That's right. Eating a pigeon, yeah. not a pigeon dove. Yeah. Uh, and Jeff Allworth is here. I, I, I am. Hey. So are you, Patrick? Hello. Nice, nice of you to join us. <laughs> Thank you. So we wanted to kind of uh, switch gears uh, and talk about uh, the economics of beer these days, um, which is, I know, uh, they're changing rapidly. But before we did that, actually, I thought I would sort of switch back to the previous interview and just uh, talk about your relationship because you two started this brewery together as equal partners. Mm-hmm. And in the past 10 years, the industry has changed a lot. You've had to transform. You've opened up two other places. It seems like a lot of stress on a partnership. So how do you guys, how do you, you've succeeded. So kudos to you guys. And how do you guys operate? How does that work? Yeah, you're not like a yeah. band where you don't appear in the same room. Unless, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> There's no drummer to fire. Right, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think we have fairly delineated... Yeah, roles. Roles. To a certain extent. You know? Yeah, kind of, yeah. I think that's most of what it is. Yeah, and I feel like uh, we've been really good at... Uh, Van and I are good at arguing. Like and not like your parents did. Yeah. Um, but like it's <laughs> a discussion. More, that's what I was gonna say. More more like uh, you know, in a classroom uh-huh. setting, right. you know, where we basically uh, we we each have our opinion about something and both of us sure. are pretty quick to like be like, you know what, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like it's pretty it's pretty fast. It's pretty rare yeah. when like when we disagree for very long. You know. Yeah. And so um yeah, so but I know that uh, 
it's kind of changed over the years, but I feel like I, I've seen people in rooms when you and I are like having a discussion and like arguing our points and not that we're like mean about it or anything like that, but sometimes people will be like, oh man, you know, they kind of step back and stuff. And, but you and I are just like, are like, no, I think this and this and this, and this yeah. is why, you know? And then, yeah. And then one of us will be like, okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. That makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that, that's, that's funny you say that. That's been said about me my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to say, but now I will. If you're going to have Van Havoc as a partner, I think you need to be assertive. You need uh, to uh -huh. like be willing yeah. to, because you're going you're gonna to say, you're going to speak your mind. Well, yeah, mm. yes, I am. Um, I, and I also, I grew up in a family that, <clears throat> you know, ate dinner together every night. And if disagreements came up at the table, it finished right period there was no you're gonna leave because it's not damn yeah. nope you and your brother are gonna sort this out right you know or whatever <laughs> you know and i'm not i'm i'm really not into conflict at all i don't like conflict at all but that's something very different to me than sort of like it no i my position is this and this is what i'm going to say about it you know, so it's, I was just, I was just brought up that way. And then academically and that was drilled into me. Yeah. And both of us are good at being like, when somebody makes a good argument and you're like, all right, I can see. Yeah. That, yeah, that, yeah that's, that's a good, good argument. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't, I, I, neither of us needs to be right. <clears throat> yeah. That's a big part of it too. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, <laughs> but there are people, but there are a lot yeah. of people like yeah. that, you know, yeah. they're convinced that I was right. Yeah. I, Yes, I'm highly opinionated. Yeah, Ben's yeah, highly opinionated. I am as well too. Yeah, yeah. highly <laughs> opinionated. But that's good. You don't hear but, it from me as often, but yeah. Right. <laughs> but, but again, it's it's totally just that you know, I neither of us thinks we're right all the time. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I remember. You know, I studied a number of things in college, mostly like business, and and I was was like, oh, I'm gonna have a business someday. And when I thought about it, I was always like, I need to surround myself with good people, the people that bring different ideas, because I know, I've always known that I didn't know everything, right? right <laughs> you know, right, yeah. like who can? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, no, and I'm the, I'm the same way. Like I I knew that there are like big holes in what I'm capable of doing. Yeah, and that's and, and, and actually, and that, so that works out pretty well for the way that like we didn't really exactly have a discussion about the different things that we do. They just kind of, I feel like, in a lot of ways, they kind of fell, fell into the place. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and it was based on our experience, you know, coming into this business. You know, like like with the distribution, I was telling you guys in the last episode about how we uh, <laughs> well done, yeah, yeah. Nice. Uh, how we uh, how we were immediately in uh, Oregon, Washington, you know, BC, and Alaska, and that was from relationships because I had done distribution and sales in addition to running the brewery at Hopworks, yeah. you know, and yeah, so I had I, all those relationships. And I, I, I still know very little about that. You know, it's just not, I'm just, you know, my dad's a salesman. I'm not, it's just very difficult for me. Yeah. But on your end, you had a lot of experience with, uh, you know, running, you were a district manager for rock bottom. And so you yeah. had a lot of experience, um, with the, essentially the accounting dollar cents, making sure everything that was like in managing people and managing right. people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So nice. Yeah. Well, I mentioned that because uh, it's been a pretty rocky road for breweries in the last couple of years. Uh, first yeah, COVID, uh, I guess the hot prices first, even pre-COVID, right? Yeah. Hot prices went way up, but recently grain prices. Yeah, we're just, we're, we're frankly just seeing grain prices, right? Mm -hmm. We are yeah. really going to see the pinch of grain prices in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, so, so talk to us about the increasing costs and the challenges and how do you deal with 
cost management in a brewery? Is it about recipes? Is it about uh, uh, passing them on through customers? And like, and what? Yeah, what are your efficiencies? How can you? Yeah, process so, that? <laughs> so, I as Ben mentioned, I worked for Rock Bottom Breweries for a long time, and at that company, they focused enormously on cost of goods and cost of goods percentages, which, for those who don't know, essentially represents the way I like to think of it is the decrease in the value of your inventory relative to your sales, right? Yeah. And that decrease in the value of your inventory is through raw materials, final products, whatever, blah, 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 blah. So it's sort of like, it's, it's easiest to think about it in terms of like, if you had a, a store, if you had two girls, two shirts, right? You have two shirts, that's your inventory. You bought them both for $10 and then you sell them both for $20 your cost of goods is 50%. $10 was, right? Yeah. Right. Pretty basic. Here's the thing. For, for a restaurant or for something like a retail outlet where, frankly, there's a lot of loss and the loss is theft mm-hmm. or tearing or kid with crayon or whatever, right? That's a pretty good concept of way to run a business, cost of goods percentage. For a brewery, it's terrible. It's basically a waste of time. Um, if I was to do something like buy too much black malt, right, doesn't really matter. It doesn't go bad, right? <laughs> right. You can you can use black malt from three years ago and it's fine, right? There's some things, pops, sure, whatever. You got to be a little careful there, right? But so that concept of managing your inventory and having you know and and like in a kitchen. They're very concerned about, what do you call it, uh, portioning, right? right? If, if you're supposed to have an ounce of cheese and it's an ounce and a quarter every time, that messes you up big time. Yep. But that's because you're talking about the difference between an ounce and an ounce and a quarter on a plate, on one plate. Right. So that's a 25% increase on one plate. We, as brewers, are typically measuring things like grain to the pound or quarter pound even to make hundreds of gallons. <laughs> right. So if you screw up your portioning on your crystal malt and put in 56 pounds instead of 55, it doesn't effing matter at all. Right. Same thing with hops. You're weighing those out to like ludicrously, we do to the two-tenths of a pound because we have a metric scale. It's like, it's like small, small. It's like a handful of hops, like nothing. Yeah. Um, so the way you really look at that is through what brewers are supposed to do. Look at brewery efficiencies, right? Are you getting all the sugar out of your grain? Yeah. Right? Once you get the sugar out of your grain, are you boiling too much away? Are you getting all of it out of the kettle? Yeah. Once it's in the fermenter, are you settling things out well and are you yielding the maximum amount out of the fermenter to the bright, from the bright to package, right? Mm-hmm. That's really, and it's sort of shocking uh, how a lot of the newer generation of brewers or the smaller brewers that are terrible at this. Mm. They just, they don't even know. They've sort of been like, well, I'm just trying to make the best beer. I don't really care. And you're like, um, you're, you're running a brew house efficiency of like 78%. Right. It should be above 90. Yeah. <laughs> That's homebrew level. <laughs> yes. But, but, but there's a lot of it out there. There's a lot of it really? out there. And there's, you know, I, I read something recently that, okay, it was a year ago that made me gasp, which was 
oh, well, I think a packaging efficiency of 85% is pretty good. Meaning if you have 10 barrels in the bright tank, you get eight and a half barrels in package. And I, I was like, what? <laughs> what? Let me tell you something. A gigantic brewing company, if we hit 98% packaging efficiency, I'm like, that was crappy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're normally in like the 99.5% packaging efficiency. Yeah. Right? It's not, and we're not, we're not doing weird winemaker stuff where you're like over pouring and then catching it in a bucket and then putting it back into a tub and then re-putting it into a bottle. Which they do, but but it's those it's those basic brewery efficiency things that are what you really need to look at to control your costs, right? Yeah. Now the problem is there's a couple different kinds of breweries out there, right? There are the there are the breweries that sell everything direct to consumer, right? They're they're the ones most able to deal with the current economic situation, sure. hands down, yeah. because Strangely, they're the only breweries that can control the price of their own beer. They're the only ones. Right. They're the only ones. That is it. As soon as you go through a distributor, or even if you're self-distributed, you can't, you don't really control the cost. Of your, you don't control the price you sell beer at. You don't really. The distributor basically controls that. And the distributor is reacting to what essentially bars and grocery stores will accept. Right. And in the current, and with what's happening now, you know, you are seeing malted barley prices increase of 33% plus. Over last year. Over last year. 10 cents a pound. I've never, in 28 years of doing this, I've never seen a grain increase more than 2 cents a pound. 10 cents a pound. Mm. It's brutal. The grocery store doesn't care. Right, right. The bar doesn't care, and therefore, the distributor's not going to care. I am absolutely obsessed with what's going to happen, because the thing is, is, is a brewery like us, gigantic, in, a, in good years, we make 44, 4,500 barrels of beer a year. Mm-hmm. We're not big enough to move anything. We're not, we're not big enough to, to force price. Right. We're a price taker a, from raw materials and from what we can sell beer at. It's going to be really interesting. And it's funny because, like, everyone downstream of us, the distributors and the grocery stores, they're like, well, you know, we're facing cost increase too. You know, we're, the energy prices for refrigeration, we, we don't have that. Right. <laughs> right. We don't. Hold on. Hold on. Let me just ask the grocery store really quick. Do you heat things up to boiling and then cool them down to 30? Th- oh, you don't? Right. Interesting. Because I do. So I'm guessing my refrigeration costs are higher than yours. And then the distributor, the distributors are like, oh, well, the gas prices we're facing. Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that. I don't get shipments of raw materials that come (laughs) in a truck. And on top of that, can I see your kettle? Right. Where's the kettle at the distributor that runs on gas? Where's that? Because I have one. Yeah. And I have a hot liquor that runs on gas too, right? You know, like, so we are facing more, but it doesn't matter to them. No, but ultimately the constraints is the consumer, right? So one yes, question I have is, absolutely. is how much is too much for craft beer when the consumer starts saying, I can't, I can't pay $14 a six pack of IPA. Yeah, this right? is, like, you and I were talking about this. Yeah. It's the demand elasticity so, of craft beer. What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, you know? especially like the, the cross price lesson, you know, when do they start ditching you and going to 
back to Anheuser Busch or something. Yeah, 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 right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's also it's also not a linear relationship, right? Sure. Clearly, yeah. you know. Yeah. The the, the demand uh-huh. elasticity difference between that's what scares me. Eleven dollars or or eight dollars a six pack to nine dollars is very different than fourteen to fifteen. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do think it gets very nonlinear at the at, 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 at that, as you go up. At yeah. At that at, at that extreme, and that's what I'm worried about right now. Yeah. Like how much can craft brewers pass on cost consumers yeah. before the consumers start. Yeah. Before it basically becomes all losing proposition, you charge ten percent more, but you lose twenty percent of sales, right? Yeah, so. yeah, no, absolutely. And and this is really where, in particular, the breweries that are heavy on packaging, yeah, the breweries that are in the biggest trouble, in my opinion, mm-hmm. are the ones that are heavy into packaging, that are going through distributors, that are not very big. Say <laughs> five thousand barrels to maybe thirty thousand barrels. Yeah. yeah. That's the tough range. That's the really, really tough range. Um, you're not big enough to get any real economies of scale that really matter. It may be actually, it may be actually five thousand up to like eight seventy or eighty or a hundred thousand barrels. Really? You know, it might be that high. I, I don't know, yeah. but it might be that high. Um, and uh, you know, it's just going to be really, really tough for them. On the draft side, it's a little easier. People, I think, tend to work with you a little more on draft. A little bit. Little, yeah. it doesn't take much, mm-hmm. right? A little tiny bit can make a big difference. So we're, yeah, but I mean, we've been around for ten years and we've taken two price increases right. on draft. What is, right. what yeah. is but, the but, but good example, we've taken two price increases on draft. How many price increases have we taken on package? Yeah, zero. Zero. Wow. Ten years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Zero. Yeah, six packs have gone up, but uh, single serve, you know, which is what we do, yeah. um, hasn't gone up. I would almost argue that it's actually gone down. Mm-hmm. Because um, you know we're in we're in sixteen sixteen point nine ounce we're in five hundred mil bottles uh, that are returnable uh, and you know so it's a little bit nicer package than a can but a lot of breweries switch from that twenty two ounce bottle to a sixteen ounce can, can yeah. and the price that they're able to get for that sixteen ounce can the price per ounce for the beer has gone down you know and yeah. so um, yeah bad yeah yeah bad. yeah and everything else has gone up. You and, know, I mean, like now, now again, if you're selling direct to consumer, you have more margin. It's yeah. fine. And also, if you're selling direct to consumer, really, where you can really affect prices at the bar, right? Right. You can charge another ten mm-hmm. cents or twenty five cents because that huge price difference. is moving, right. and, and that price every, moves all over. Not the place. every year, but like more often, right? yeah, <laughs> a lot more often. At least every couple of years, that yeah, price I, is going to go up. A I read, I read cents, something whatever. somewhere. I think this was pre-pandemic that just shocked me. It was on. Might have been comments in your blog. Might have been somewhere else. I don't remember what it was, but someone was making a comment, and they were like, well, "Yeah, well, the breweries are just charging an arm and a leg." I mean, have you seen how much beer costs at the bar now? And you're like, uh, "The breweries haven't changed anything in terms of what they're selling for. Right. It's rent and labor have gone up at the bar." Right. But right. I can't believe that that consumers think that we're the ones <laughs> jacking the price up. You're like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like, we used to sell beer for our, our, the two price increases amount to less than a 10% price increase over 10 years. Wow. Huh. With infl- how, what has inflation been over the last 10 years? Let's ignore the last year. Yeah. Well, it's usually about 2% a year. So right. So, maybe, yeah. Yeah, about, yeah. So more than 10%. We're actually making less. Yeah. Mm. So I, 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 I'm curious to jump in on the draft thing, if you don't mind me. Nope. In. Uh, you told me something about um 
bodies and seats, which I'm, I'm curious about because I, I, I remember talking to a brewery once who said uh, 10% of the beer that we sell, we sell at the tap room. Mm-hmm. It accounts for 30% of our, our revenues, our net yeah, revenue. Yeah, yeah, sure, mm-hmm. sure, sure. And uh, what I've noticed, you know, <laughs> in the post-COVID scare quotes period is maybe we're not out of COVID yet, but whatever. Um, it does seem like every, every brewery tap room and bar and pub I go into has fewer people than it has yeah. before. Yeah. So how does that affect you? Oh, it's bad. Uh, I mean, I know it's bad, but talk about how, you know, like how does that make you rejigger things? Uh, that there's fewer people coming in? <clears throat> yeah. So like if you're based on, you know, that formulation that I just said, somebody said if, if, if yeah. 10% of our sales at, mm. work out to 30% of our revenue. Yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's within very good numbers. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's so, reason, very reasonable. So how do you how do you change things when you're no longer getting uh, the same number of people in you know sitting so, seats? So so honestly, this is weirdly one of the reasons that we are still in returnable bottles. Uh, and and that is is that look, our bottle case sales have more than tripled since pre direct consumer out of the tap room. More than tripled since from before the pandemic. It's a huge increase, and um, and the and and that's one way we're doing by having more tap rooms. We are creating more nodes, more neighborhoods for people in that area to sort of be a part of that bottle program. When Ben and I were starting the company, and we were talking to investors, we kept telling them the same thing: look. If as a brewery, what you do is make good beer and then try to sell that beer, you might do okay. But if as a brewery, what you do is you make good beer and you sell a relationship between the brewery and the drinker, you will do okay, right? The thing about the refillable bottle is it is part of a relationship between the brewer and the drinker in a way that other packaged goods are not. There is no relationship when you go to Fred Meyer, New Seasons, whatever, and you buy a six-pack of any number of wonderful breweries in Portland, Oregon, or from somewhere else. There's no relationship there. You right. bought from a grocery store and you went home. Right. right? We have lost a bunch of placements because we're in 500 mil bottles. That means people have to come here to buy the beer. Yeah. Which means they see the same person who says, hey, Patrick, how's your week been? Right. <laughs> Good to see you. Fin- finish that up already. You should try hey, this one, right? Hey, hey, yeah. you get a free, you brought back 12, you get a free pint. Yeah. Let me take those back. Yeah. Um, you get to pick up another case. You just walked in here with the case empty. So of course, you're going to buy a damn case. Right. So right? What's, what's, and then you can, you're right, and then you can talk to someone. Well, should I get, hey, this is great. It's a relationship. Yeah. The refillable bottle is a relationship. Right. It is far more powerful than the can. What's, what strikes me is that you were talking about when you started the brewery, you were uh, a packaging brewery and distributing all over the Northwest, and it seems to be becoming more and more <clears throat> hyper-local now. Yeah, yeah but like that's... really local community yeah. focus. 2,000 breweries when we started, mm-hmm. right. nine yeah. and a half thousand yeah. now. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, it has totally transitioned. Yeah. You know, um, we've had we've had a few different salespeople that have worked for us in the past. You know, oh. yeah, they've worked potentially that whole market, you know, and I've traveled that whole market. And now, you know, we've really just been more and more focusing on the Portland area um, and focusing on our tap rooms. And we still, we still sell beer in these other markets, but yeah, it's, it's ever, 
ever increasingly is becoming a smaller portion of what we do. Right. Um, we still want to do it. Yeah, we know? still want to do it. Yeah, I'd, yeah, still exactly. lo- I'd still love to be sending, yeah. you know, like pallets and pallets of, you know, bottles out the back door. I'd love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the dream. Yeah. yeah. Right now. Yeah, and when you're asking about also like what, what we're doing to essentially get more people in the door, you know, I mean it's it's more locations like Van mentioned, um, but then it's also doing more events. You know, I mean like we've done trivia here for quite a long time, but we've started doing you know we have a nationally more. competitive trivia. That's right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the yeah, trivia, the geeks who drink trivia yeah. here is ranked top fifty for scores nationally. I have no idea what you're talking about. Room is there's, na- yeah, there's, this national, room, there's national yeah. rankings. So, well, yeah. so, so, so the trivia companies are often national, weirdly. Right. And so then they're all doing the same trivia the same week or night or whatever, uh, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so teams get points. And if you look at like the, I don't know if it's like average points per team or whatever it is, we're like top 50 nationally. Yeah, nice. Well, you're a stone's throw from Reed College. Probably doesn't hurt. But I mean, this is like hugely competitive. Like, we will get like 19, 20 trivia teams in here. It's hugely competitive. It's cool. It's fun. Yeah. But then, sorry. Okay. So, yeah, so we have the trivia. We started doing uh, comedy once a, once a month. Um, we're doing, uh, which, yeah, another shout out for Asheville Podcast that we yeah. against you guys. <laughs> All right. Apparently, we learn not a sex podcast. Not a sex <laughs> podcast. Yeah. It's a it's a sexy podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't. Yeah. You, you'll meet Shane and uh, Seth someday, and you'll see why. Okay. But uh, anyways, just being nice to them. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, we're doing drag shows once a month, and here, you know, we've talked about doing. We're working on some other events for next year. You know, so trying to get more people uh, into our tap rooms. Which, dungeons I mean, and flagons? Yeah, we're doing dungeons and flagons. Are you serious? <laughs> how do did I you not, know about that? Did you <laughs> not know about dungeons and flagons? Oh, no, you yeah. must tell us about that. Lost Jeff. Now. Dungeons and flagons <laughs> is, so it's really, it's put on, uh, the, the main instigator is Josh, who's one of the brewers, uh, Josh McKinley at 5440. Uh-huh. And uh, it started out at rock bottom, like right before the That's pandemic. part of the Kolsch Mafia, but we won't go there. Oh, yeah, it's totally part of the Kolsch Mafia. <laughs> uh uh, but uh, uh, yeah, it's basically uh, Dungeons and Dragons happening at various tap rooms around, and sometimes they do like brewer Dungeons and Flagons, where like you'll every table will either you'll be playing with a brewer or you'll be damned by a brewer. It's fun. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's right. All right, we'll have to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But um, off, off, we but. We don't want to talk about that for the next twenty minutes, or we'll lose all our yeah, all yeah. our listener. <laughs> <laughs> we'll lose our listener exactly. All right, Patrick. Uh, all right, back so to you. Bring uh, it so if you're a small brewery dealing with you know ninety five hundred competitors, and uh, one of your messages is to make sure efficiency. Yeah. Your your max. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Doing doing everything you can to be a good brewer. Yeah. Right. I think there's a lot of lack of focus on that. I think the next thing is you know uh, these are business breweries are businesses. Every single brewery is a business. My bad joke is if you didn't want to start a if you didn't want it to be a business, go start a winery. Right. Right. Um, I get that some wineries are businesses. I know that some definitely aren't. Yeah. Um, But every brewery's business. Yeah. And so then it's it's you know it's. It's the basic stuff. Watch the labor, right? Watch, you know, your spending. You know, do you really need? It's shocking. Mm. A brewery. I'll mention the brewery because the brewery's great. Single Hill Brewing up in Yakima. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Zach Turner up there. When he was starting that brewery, he was like, "Hey, Van, can I come down and 
pick your brain? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Zach's, he's great. And so he came down and he was asking me all these questions about, you know, like, hey, so what kind of a flow meter should I get? What kind of a this should I get? Should I get a, you know, um, whatever. Should I start with a DO meter and all this stuff? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. It's like, Zach, you are starting. You want to start with the minimum amount of equipment that you need to make beer because that minimizes the amount of loans you take out because you will find out that a loan, once you get started, amounts to taking money, putting it in the toilet, and lighting it on fire. Right? <laughs> um, and, and, and I was like, I was like, cut it all back. Once you have cash flow, then you can go ahead and buy, you know, get an IFM effector flow meter. You know, see if you can get a Endress Hauser mag flow meter. See if you can get a, you know, whatever deal meter. But once you have cash flow, right? But it's it's making those smart decisions about money yeah. is clearly the second thing, right? And then the third thing I think is, man, I think everyone's really got to be focusing on direct to consumer sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's the only place you have all the control. And, and you've seen that. I mean, and you guys the proliferation of breweries after. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. During yeah. well, and also and during COVID, you guys started doing home delivery, and you're still doing home delivery. That has gone way down. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, way down. Basically, we have like, I mean, we were lucky that uh, Road Beers came along. Right. So yeah, Casey owns uh, Function and all that. Yeah, yeah. Like he started doing that for a bunch of breweries. It was something that we all needed and yeah. wanted. Yeah. And uh, so it's great that he provides that service. Yeah. The majority of the customers we have at this point are people who love getting their case of beer once a week or every other week or whatever, yeah. you know, and, and it's easier for them, which I totally understand. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. right. It's just, it, they hit a button and it comes to their house. Right. Fantastic, yeah. It's, it's right? not the same thing. There was a, there was one day in like, I don't know, let's just say May, April, May of 2020, we had to deliver something like $5,500 retail worth of beer that day, <laughs> wow. that day. Wow. We were just like, holy Jesus, this is amazing, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. thanks everyone out there yeah, who supported exactly. not just us, but every brewery everywhere in the United States, our friends in Europe, in Japan, and everywhere else through the pandemic. It was a life, lifeline. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those days are over. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I'm just curious. Uh, inter you just said the thing about... Um, uh, direct to consumer is the way to go, and or it's, I mean, a, it's a good part of the mix. It's, it's a good, good part, part of the mix, mix right? I mean, still, but, we're probably distributing sixty-five percent of our beer. Uh -huh. Yeah, sixty-five, seventy. Well, I'm including Hawthorne. Like, I'm assuming, like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, but, no, we're right. still, we're still majority, <laughs> we're still majority distributed, distributed right? Yeah, totally, yeah. And, but it's an important uh, but, part of it, like you said before. Yeah. That ten percent of that brewery was thirty percent of their revenue. Right. Yeah, 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 totally. So. I get that. I guess what I'm more. Oh, you get, do you guys hear about Hammer and Stitch closing their tap room over the winter? Yeah. No, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. Uh, I was going to call Ben today. Well, Tell him that I'm curious about that. So I'm seeing stuff like that too, and I'm just wondering how to reconcile these two things. Like, why is, is that? Is that just because of? That's um, probably. I'm sure that's their location. Okay. Yeah. Right, and so the problem is, is it <laughs> sorry, it's it's one of those things. Like, like I have a definite. Well, I'll, I'll tell you my opinion because it could be wrong. Yeah, caveat star. You know, yeah, this could be very wrong. But like, like right away, I saw we, that, and this we podcast is for bad takes. So you're, okay, you're, you're, you're among friends. Here. Oh, good. Yeah, exactly. I know. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
<laughs> next year somebody's gonna come out with some new IPA. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be like. We'll be like. We'll be like. I didn't see that coming. Exactly. So here's my opportunity. Chai. Chai PA. Yeah. Exactly. Someone make it chai PA. Prove me wrong. Yeah. So I mean, build a brewery around it and fail. Oops. Sorry. I was really surprised. I was surprised when I saw that. We we went over there for the. like the holiday market they had on Sunday. And, and I guess that was going to be possibly their like last day. Although then I saw something that maybe they're going to have a holiday market this weekend, but um, I was reading about it and the, yeah, that essentially was, I think Vans are right. You know, it's location um, that, but the reason why they're closing is because, you know, you got a lot of staff on. So obviously like labor costs a lot of money. Yeah. And um, I feel like, you know, and here's the thing. I don't, I don't, see their books i don't know where they're at and what's going on you right. know but i feel like if it was us and we were dealing if i was dealing with that situation i think i would like pare it down to I, i'd modify my menu pare it down to one person in the kitchen possibly you know or if not just making it something where like there's no person in the kitchen but i yeah, can see just, having one person in the kitchen one person like pouring beers behind the bar right. and i would do everything i could possible to like keep that place oh open. no no agreed you know? agreed yeah. entirely so yeah. i was pretty surprised when i saw that, that that was the call they made that it was yeah. kind of it seems like an all or nothing and again like i don't i haven't talked to ben i haven't talked to any of the other owners there i don't know their dollars and cents you know but course. like yeah but but i mean i mean yeah i i think I think in a situation like Hammer and Stitch, I would have just been like, we've closed the kitchen for the winter. Uh-huh. Because you can run a place with one person. I mean, we, we ran anymore. we ran right. this place with one person seven days a week. Yeah. For years. Mm-hmm. Lines out the door. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And then I'd go to some other brewery tap rooms and I'd be like, why the f*** do you have three people behind the <laughs> standing around like <laughs> you know they might not be doing that anymore i mean that's uh, an yeah. expensive uh, yeah, yeah especially in the city of portland yeah yeah which isn't a problem right <laughs> right you can't i'm not bitch, i'm not bitching about it but yeah. like you know because people I'll, should I'll, get paid a reasonable wage but i don't like, know yeah. i'll bitch about it like the fact of the matter is you, you want to talk about economics i was about to i can talk about labor costs yeah look it is basically not viable for me to pay brewers as much as bartenders make. Yeah. It is not viable. Yeah. I can't do it. Bartenders make such an enormous amount of money. Um, I, I think it's, it's you know, and, and as, a, as a guy who, you know, came up through assistant brewers and Ben did too and all that sort of stuff, I'm always bothered by it. Because to me, like, I, look, my both of our wives work in the tap room. I literally love some of the tap room. <laughs> um, You're talking about your wife. Yeah, I've got, yeah, got oh, a little okay, clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but you cannot, but you cannot tell me that anyone that works in the tap room has the level of skill as my brewers back then. Right. You cannot right. tell me that. Yeah, yeah. That is that is the biggest fallacy. You can, I don't care who you are, what arguments you make. You're wrong. Right. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is economically, I cannot pay them that much. Yeah. And so to me, mm. I do think front of house staff makes too much money dollars wise in Portland, Oregon. I really do. I'm not going to, I'm not, don't take this as me saying something political or whatnot. I'm just saying it. I'm saying it well, relative to the fact that it seems. That's maybe not the right way to say it. The right way to say it would be like, you, you would like to pay the brewers more. At the end of the day, yeah. yes, like, yes. Like, that's really yes. what it is. Yes. It's not, yes. a, it's not yes. necessarily that yes. front house makes too much. It's yeah. that 
Yes. You wish you had the ability correct. to pay the Brewers more. Yeah, that's correct. Brewers correct. Yeah, and that's and, and, and yeah. that and 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 the fact of the matter is, is because I have to pay my front of house staff a minimum wage which goes up with inflation all the time, yeah. it actually limits my ability to pay my brewers more. Right. And that I think is well, I was also thinking just sort of... Like, and people can say, like, all kinds of things about, well, you can pay yourself less and... Yeah. I'll show you our books for this year, and you will find out that, no, I actually can't right. Right. Yeah. pay people because we are in the... Uh, uh, we are looking at... I'm not afraid to say this. When we finally do our taxes, we are probably going to be... Uh, probably. We are 99% sure going to be posting a loss this yeah. year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which know? is crazy coming off, like... Uh, you would think that, you know, that that would have happened in, you know, 2020 or right. 2021, you yeah. know, right. those and, years no, actually right. and granted, okay in, in, because we well, had assistance if, from If by okay, well. you mean profit margin, you know, profit numbers in the low f- five figures. Right. It's not a lot of money. Right. Yeah. And, right. It, and when you're talking about four professional brewers and to give them a 50 cent raise is $1,000 when you're making profit margins in the low five figures, right. you're like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how much do I have to increase my front house? Oh, for goddamn year. Yeah, that's where all the money's going. Yeah, right. Well, and you're seeing uh, that was interesting. You guys are asking about like hiring people, you know, for the new location and and having kitchen staff is a new thing. Sure. And um, and so so I started talking to the people about tip share and stuff and how different locate different brew pubs are doing it and there's a full range, you know. Um, there's some places that have gone as far as basically paying everybody minimum wage, uh, front house, back house, kind of doesn't matter, right. and giving it and doing 50-50 on the tip share. Mm-hmm. Me- meaning, for those of you out there that doesn't know, that the that the bartender's front of the house front gets of the house 50% of all tips, right. and the, the, the kitchen gets, gets 50 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all the way down to, you know, places that are kind of more classic table service um, that are doing, because, like, our location is counter service. Right. Um, and a lot of brew pubs are that way now. Yeah, right. A lot of, a lot of restaurants are that way now. Totally. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, People will still complain about how bad your table service is. On <laughs> <laughs> they're like, that's weird because there isn't table service. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're kind of right. You can sit there but a long also, time. Yeah, but they're yeah. also kind of stupid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, down to like the table um, service at the Lucky Lab has been horrible for the last twenty years. Huh. One of my favorite beer review, beer Bible reviews on Amazon is "Don't like beer, one star." <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't, I can't argue can't with that logic. Not the book for This you. was given to me as a gift by someone who doesn't know me at all. all right. I hate beer, one star. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, all the way down to like where it's like a. You know, two point five percent goes to the back of the house in like those traditional uh, table service locations right. you know, that have been around for a long time. And so, um, but the reason why people are doing it is because, yeah, especially in Portland, you know, minimum wage is going up. Well, across the state, minimum wage is going up. Um, it's been hard to people that worked in the back of the house. Um, a lot of them lost their jobs, and yeah. so then they were like, "Well, this isn't sustainable, so I'm going to do something else." Yeah. You know, so yeah. they're like yeah. going back to school. You know, it's, and 
and then the people that are still out there, you know, it's there, there's fewer of them, so you got this, you know, essentially feeding frenzy, trying to hire them and bring them in. So that's why the so you can't lowball them because no, they won't come work for you. Exactly, yeah. and that's why that tip share is going up to like fifty percent, fifty fifty for a house back house, and especially for places that are counter service, you know. But also for a state like Oregon, where you can't discount for tips, so you still have to pay the mm-hmm. base minimum wage, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, yeah, no, right? yeah there's no. Yeah. What's that called? It's called tip credit. Something like that. I totally understand because when you hear about like what people make when you can discount for tips, yeah. it's just like how can anybody live on that? Yeah. You know. Um, but I will say, yeah, it except was... for the fact that I mean, like I remember being in Minneapolis at the Rock Bottom, Minneapolis, and tip credit was they got paid like two dollars and thirty cents an hour, which seems like a total joke. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. In the mid '90s, all those servers were walking with like a few hundred dollars a night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Where, and, 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 there was, and there was, and there was me, the and there was me as an assistant brewer getting paid $8 an hour. <laughs> so I was walking with $64 and paying taxes on all of it. Right. They were, they were walking with $300 and claiming they made $70 in tips. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. Doesn't exactly fit, but I'll just tell you this quick anecdote. My son's friend who works at Burgerville because they'll ask for tips through the drive-thru yeah, yeah. Yeah. and apparently everyone does it just hmm. do, 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 do. nowadays he uh-huh. makes basement wage like 15 bucks an hour and then he makes over that in tips every yeah. day mm-hmm. so oh, he's right. making like 30 35 bucks an right. hour and this at is what and this is and yeah. this is what and kills so me why would they come work yeah, yeah why would they come right? work for yeah. us yeah. No, and right. this is yeah. what yeah, kills me about the brewery i'm gonna get a job i can't i can't pay my guy i can't have four guys back there all making 70 fucking thousand dollars a year right yeah. Because because wow. the elasticity of demand for beer will not support $9 pints exactly. at the bar. Exactly. Yeah. And there you go. There's there there's a way it's at too. Yeah. yeah, it's like we can't charge. Right? Mm-hmm. What but we're but with tips everyone's like, "Oh, we'll tip everybody, blah 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 blah." And you're like, "Tip my fucking brewers." Yeah. Well, it's fast. How about you like I designate that. this as a tip to the brewers? How about yeah. that? Everyone out there, tip you your should, brewers. Well, you should try just be, just yeah, be like, try it with your just, just be like, just be Turn like, the screen just be like, say, hey, wow, you yanked a handle for me. That's worth like fifteen cents. Here's three <laughs> bucks for the brewer. <laughs> yeah, Spoken. Patrick would love to have you run that, that natural experiment. Yeah, so you should do it. It's not gonna happen. A tip, a tip for the brewer. Not gonna happen. Box. Yeah. Oh, we tried that at, at the Rock Bottom, Minneapolis. We had a little Salvation Army thing we stole. Yeah, please contribute generously to the Brewers Retirement Fund. It was we oh, got like it. Cobwebs cobwebs. In there. We, we got enough. We got enough money that my buddy Rick and I, Rick was my boss. Pack. Rick and I could we could typically go up and get a scone from the cute scone girls <laughs> once a week. Nice, that's great. We let's go see the scone girls. Well, we should wrap this up, but I have one final question, which is sort of the Nostradamus question, it's particularly in Portland, which is probably as saturated a craft beer market as you're going to get. Have we reached sort of the carrying capacity? Are we now just at the part where we'll see bursts and deaths of brewers, but probably no more? What's the carrying capacity of muffler shops in Portland, Oregon? (laughs) Well, these days, it's probably going way up because of the catalytic converter (laughs) crisis. It's an exogenous shock, Patrick. Exactly. (laughs) How, How about the carrying capacity of nail salons? So what we need to do is have like a keg stealing ring, and then no, no, no. See, will... the point I'm trying to make is, people ask this about beer all the time, but they don't ask it about any other business. Well, it's because I believe that beer, craft beer, over the last 30 years has been this big. It's been a big deal, a big narrative, a big, huge, expanding industry sure. that basically disrupted the old industry. You know, the Henry Weinhardt's brewery is gone. 
Sure. Right? Mm -hmm. And now we have, I don't know how many, 180 breweries, something like that? In how, yeah, how many are in no, Portland? Uh, well, it, that, it, it raises this whole question. Like, how many... Uh, well, you're a bad example because you don't have a... If you, so We're for, one. If you, had an, if you had a separate test brewery at, at Hawthorne, for example, mm -hmm. would you count as one or two breweries? Like, it's mm -hmm. really, it becomes really difficult to decide how to count breweries. Okay. So. Uh, okay. To me, yeah. the brewery needs to supply all the beer at the location. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I, it, it, I was it, gonna say it, anything it, with a mash tun, let's call that. It, it vary, you know. It yeah, but so like at Breakside, I'd give it two breweries. I don't even, I don't even know if I'd call Deacon a full a brewery. brewery. Huh. See, I would. But anyway, <laughs> See, I no, mean, that, I might. That's a very idiosyncratic. Like, that's no, a worthless brewery, yeah. so I'm not counting it. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're making no. beer, but how much beer do they make? Three that, barrels. It's a three-barrel yeah, brewery. That, that's, that's what I'm saying. Is it is it supplying all the beer, or is it just kind of a little? I mean, it's an important part of the business. I'm not discounting it. Right. Right? Sure, sure, yeah. No, I'm, but, I'm but, kidding. A pilot, a pilot but, I think breaks up. Right. Work. But that's my answer to you. That's sort of the narrative, right? So, yeah. I mean, like restaurants, that. you know, Portland has grown and the restaurant scene's grown. But, I mean, they've always been there and yeah. some have come and some have gone. But, but craft brewing has really been this big explosion over 30, 40 years. So. Look, in, in the metro area, I think there's still room for growth. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I, absolutely. And and yeah. and honestly, and there's it, growth in Portland. I mean, like, how much sure. stuff is out in East County? Right. No, it's so totally true. So I brought well, East County. All these places that have opened in. Is Patrick. Yeah. All these out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I call back your callback. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah. Way to weave that narrative. Yeah. Right? yeah we're bringing it all back home. <laughs> yeah. All these places have opened up in Beaverton and heading out to Hillsborough. Yeah. Hillsborough is going to happen now. And so, yeah, so if you look at like Tiger the metro Tiger Tartan is starting to do stuff. You know. and but but is that part and parcel of a hyper-local sort of focus now? You're really so, like yeah. serving a neighborhood. I mean, a local community. I, well, a lot I of mean, those that's breweries... What, that's what we do. Yeah, a lot of, a lot yeah. of those breweries are quite small. Yeah. And, and they're not really doing distribution. And is this where the growth is, is in established breweries having separate tap rooms, uh, which I was on a podcast uh, for a Chicago guy, and I mentioned the number of Portland breweries that have satellite tap rooms, which is huge. Yeah. And that's not a thing in, in Chicago. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. It's like, so we're way ahead on that. And so I'm wondering. But is, is it that... also the laws? Because the laws here allow us to have three with one license. Yeah. And then, uh, and then we can yeah. also potentially go beyond that. I, I, we're way, so on my beer Bible tour last year, I was at 20 cities or something and no, no city has anything like the, yeah. the, the density of satellite breweries that mm. we have. I mean, I would say at least half the breweries have satellite breweries. I think it's the legal the thing. Yeah. And I would look at the legal thing. I, I know that like in Chicago that uh, half acre had two locations for a long time, but apparently I was just looking them up the other day and, and apparently they closed their original uh tap room and now they just have their like their big production brewery and tap room right um but you're right i mean outside of those guys like i don't know anybody else who has more yeah. than one and i'm wondering in portland is it is, is you know not to slag you guys or anybody who has satellite breweries but you know a 10 year old established brewery with a big reputation opens a second brewery does that uh, second tap Location. room is that yeah does that cut into the opportunities the for crowd other? out yeah exactly for that, new places yeah maybe that's part of mm -hmm. why it feels it's hard to say Patrick's because saturated i wouldn't say it's necessarily because there's also you know it seems like and i talk about it like that there's a it seems like there's a life cycle for breweries in some ways and not to say that people can't go beyond it but but i, right. I feel like we've talked about you know it's almost like a 20-year thing you know 20 and 30. 
Yeah, and it depends, and, and we've both theorized, like, why that is, you know? I think a, a lot of it ties into the people that are, like, owning it and operating it, you know, that essentially, like, like to, yeah, they're going to retire, or also they just kind of, like, you know, the scene is the, it's changing all the time, and so at a certain point, you either, you either get tired of it or you're just not a part of it anymore, so, like, in order to continue, you have to probably bring in people who are younger, right. who are excited again, you know? Um yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, some, some places just really stagnate. Like, not to mm-hmm. not to throw someone in the bus, but, but locally, Full Sail is really the example of that. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, all the legacy breweries—not all of them—but you know, we've watched uh, Widmer got sold, Bridgeport went out of business, yeah. Portland went out of business, Lompoc went out of business. Like, legacy breweries that are not replenishing themselves and not becoming relevant for new generations yeah. are—they're having a hard time. Well, I mean, Jerry, I mean, this is something that you've talked about. Jerry at Lompoc tried to. Definitely reinvigorate himself, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not a criticism, but it, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's just it's just hard. It's yeah. it's um. Yeah. Well, here's and my... you guys have worked very hard to do that. Like, you're a good example of a brewery so. by opening new yeah. places and trying new things. That. But my my thought experiment, and I posed this to Gary Fish once, which is, is it that the everything gets stale, the beer gets stale, or is it? Well, let me put it another way. Why not just in ten years, close gigantic brewing. Don't change anything, but just open up fantastic brewing. Like just completely relaunch <laughs> right, the right, brand. Right, like right, yeah. like refresh it. Yeah, and, it's and it's way. what club owners do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. yeah so that's that, definitely a possibility if you have the like the energy to do it. Yeah. Well, I think. Well, Gary Fish looked yeah. at me cross-eyed like, "What? You know, I have Deschutes brand. It's a great brand." I was like, "Yeah, but the brand is." Well, I mean, all right. so. I mean, when did you talk to Gary Fish? Because I mean, you know, they bought Boneyard, right? Well, talk yeah. about talk about buying a brand that's like a, that. okay, yeah. 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 <laughs> also, a brand that's like a totally different vibe, a totally yeah. different yeah. feel. I was actually posing it. So they're declining production. Well, yeah. so, I was posing know, it in terms like, of their Roanoke brewery. It's like, why open it as a Deschutes now that Deschutes is mm. struggling? Right, 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 right. Open it as something in t- just a new brewery, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Cavalier Virginia, Brewing, yeah, fantastic Virginia Brewing. Well, so so I mean, I mean, I mean. I totally get it. I think the problem is, is that, you know, most small breweries, it's actually hard to think of one that isn't like this, are really um, either individually or small group driven. Yeah. Right? And so when you have that, to close down and reopen, look, in the club scene, you can do it, right? Because you're like, because club promoters are just club promoters are like okay what's really cool right now is um in uh an edm club yeah and then they're like uh people are into edm i'm going to turn it into a hip-hop club oh that's kind of over i'm going to turn it into a, a a grime club or whatever you know what i mean and they just figure out what the look is and they don't give a shit right um and and but breweries are very individually small group driven. And so the problem is, is you close down and then you reopen up and you're like. Yeah. And if the, the original was, brewery was look, an look, authentic. Look, I don't care who you are as a brewer. Yeah, you only yeah. have, you it's only have so yeah. many arrows yeah. in your quiver. Yeah. Right. As you're doing your brewery, you use all those arrows in your quiver. Yeah. And then you're going to close down and start up, and pretty soon people are like, it's the same fucking quiver. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and also that original brewery that you Not to keep created was an extension of yourself, right? Exactly your right. your personality. Yes, exactly. This is, and that, this is and who that's I am, the, so I believe And that's the thing about myself. it, that's yeah. right? Part of it, yeah. And then just all of a sudden just coming yeah. up with something entirely fake. 
probably doesn't resonate with customers anyway. And I mean, I suppose right. you could have different facets of your of your personality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But sure. we, we've yeah, seen a lot of the generic breweries that people start, um, and those never do well. Those mm -hmm. always just kind of sputter. It's like you walking into a Chili's or something, and those are just not <laughs> popular. You know, they, they have a hard time. I'm sorry. I need a, I need an example. Can, is there an example that you feel okay saying? Uh, no. <laughs> I, I mean yeah, like I, I was thinking you would have picked something that like had opened and closed in like you know 97 to 99 or something yeah well there were a lot yeah there were actually a lot in the 90s people like uh, who were not beer people but they were entrepreneurs and they, yeah. they, like, I remember there was yeah. like, oh peak, peak brewing was one that I remember you had a big rollout and I went and yeah. covered it and it was like do you guys remember that brewery Norwester was another example. Yeah, yeah. Oh, totally Norwester. Uh, yeah. So there, there were there huh. were some '90s ones that yeah. were like that. Globe Brewing in uh, in um, Maryland. Okay. I remember being at the Craft First Conference in 1997 I, I in, in that, Seattle, it's Washington. It's not that common to do that now, uh -huh. but um, right. like the entrepreneur-led. Like I'm going to start. I'm, I'm looking for a business. I to mean, start. Rock, rock Bottom in some ways was kind is, of like that. Is not kind of like is completely. <laughs> <laughs> Now, granted, the original brewing people in Rock Bottom were phen phenomenal, sure. amazing. Mark Youngquist and Matt Sage, they're amazing. And, they, and, you know, but, yeah, but the company is totally that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, we're, we're running long again here. I, I would like to go out on a, on a, on a, on a forward-looking note. And just how, how are you guys feeling about looking forward and, um, you know, think – Things look grim right now. Everyone talks about how grim they are. Um, are you guys feeling hopeful? You've got a new place. Like, what? What are the, what are the upsides? What? What? What are you feeling good about? I was gonna say you can't help but feel hopeful, right? Yeah. Well, you feel <laughs> like feeling good. Feeling grim. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, that is the thing is that we have this new place, and it has, uh, we, it has a great outdoor seating. Something we haven't even like. Yeah, touched. Right. Not even Huge close to yet. Yeah, you know? Back in May. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Ho that's what we're hopeful March. for. We're, <laughs> Honestly, we're hopeful for not you know six Global months of warming. rain yeah. like we had this yeah. year. Right. You know, yeah. That was brutal. Um, so yeah, hopeful for that. You know, I mean, part of part of having this location, we we hired a general manager for the first time, uh -huh. and so you know, my hope is that that he will be able to take over some of the tasks that we were doing. Not that it took a lot to manage these places, but it took a bit and he's going to bring some new energy. And so it also gives us the ability to do more events, right. you know, yeah. not just at that location, but at this location and at, uh, the robot room over on Gleason, you know, um, you know, hopefully continuing to do some more travel and stuff when it comes to like for the brewery. And yeah, I mean that even we did some, well, a little bit, uh, over the past couple of years, but not much. Yeah. And especially working on this project, this is a big project. So Van and I kind of locked it down <laughs> <Don't know anything laughs> all right. year. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. I mean, I, you know, I, you know this. I'm a glass three quarters empty kind of guy. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you know, like massive. <laughs> if but, things are going really good, you get even more nervous. It seems like it's like yeah, something yeah. bad has got to yeah, be yeah, happening. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> but but he, but but I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I really do. This time every year. I'm really hopeful for spring. I'm hopeful for good weather and people to come back to the bar. And I don't mean our bar, I mean the bar, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I just want, I want people to go out again. I want people to drink and eat and, and see each other and have a good time. And, and, and I'm hopeful that's gonna, is it gonna happen? I don't know, I, I just, I get it. The economic forecast doesn't look great. We haven't even mentioned World Cup at all. Argentina, you can be as happy as you want. Enjoy your 100% inflation. <laughs> um, 
Uh, <laughs> not a Messi fan, I'm guessing. No, no, no. Messi's phenomenal. Messi's great. <laughs> okay. I have nothing bad to say about Messi. Argentina as a anyway. Um, <laughs> Unlike Alexi Lalas when he said, "Yeah, I'm not really a Messi fan." It's like, really? Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. it's such a ridiculous yeah. statement. Anyways, anyway, um, but 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 the point being that like I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that like people are going to. I'm hopeful that in particular Portlanders are finally going to realize that yes, I understand that there is flu, but no one has ever freaked out about flu before. That there's RSV. You f- just learned about that six months ago <laughs> before you called it a cold, right? Because right? for adults who are the people that go to bars, right, right, it's not a cold. A and for all of you with children, I understand that it's scary, but you do understand all children get it. It's just an issue of like making sure they make it through the first one. And I get it is scary, but you can't prevent it. If you prevent your kid from getting RSV until they're nine or ten, they're probably fucked. <laughs> because at that point, it probably is brutal on them, right, right. right? So just let your kid get sick. I know that's a terrible thing to say. I obviously don't have children. I just have a dog. <laughs> I just have a dog that eats doves. Health notes from Dr. Havoc. Yeah. And, and, and COVID, yes, it's a real disease. Yes, it's serious, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have ways of f-ing dealing with it now that we did not have three years ago. We have vaccines. We have Paxlovid. We have things. There is no reason to stop life for any of this sh- anymore. If we could all just relay, if we could all accept some risk, I mean, for Christ's sake, if like anybody who's worried about this disease, I would like to, I want a time machine so bad so I can just be like, enjoy 1870. <laughs> <laughs> and be, ah, ah, you're just like, well, look, everything's going to kill you. It's 1870. Right, right. I mean, for crying out loud, my great grandfather was killed by a streetcar in Chicago. Which it turns out was a common yeah, way to die in Chicago. Yeah, turns out it was normal. They didn't know that things could come up on you that fast. Yeah, kind of couldn't do it. How many? How many? Pe- <laughs> how many people does the max kill a year? There's my max reference for this. Uh, right, this uh, bring it back again. <laughs> Not many, but you know what? You would have been scared shitless of the max in 1890. Right. Right. All right. Well, we are really running long yeah, here. Thank so, you very much uh, for spending so much time with us. We're it's gonna we're gonna do a proper thank you as we failed to do in the last one. Uh, Does that mean shots? Uh, well, no. <laughs> we don't have he, booze here. Uh, he's he's been loved. Yeah. He's Van Havig. We're at, at Gigantic. And oh. uh, we really appreciate you guys taking the time. That's and right. if, you're, if you live in Portland, go down to the new Hawthorne place. Have Get a, a Fleska Stye sandwich. Treat yourself right. Yeah. Or We also have two the, cask engines. Thank you. Oh, we never oh, talked we about talk cask. About yeah, we didn't talk about cask. We, we have two cask long. engines. Right now, they're You're selling like gangbusters really, really, really. because we still don't have an effing permit from the city yeah, which we may for have our got. permit. What's that? Which we might have got. Really? <gasps> Breaking, Breaking news. You beat Ezra. Yeah, well... Wait, wait, wait. Like but, I'm, but I'm now I'm fascinated. Weeks. What do you mean you can sell beer on cask without a permit? But oh, you different no, thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. No. Yeah. no, 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 no. So we've we've had this permit hold up <coughs> for the cooler with the cooler that yeah. we're installing. Ah, the cooler. I mean, this is actually related to the thing we're talking about. It's the it's the headwinds that city permitting. It's like there's so <laughs> much. In, it's in the city of Portland. Like, is really bad. I mean, I think our the cooler guy we've been working with. You've been working with them for a long time. Forever. Yeah. And he's been doing this for it. 
and and I think maybe he hadn't pulled a cooler permit in the city of Portland since COVID, possibly, yeah. because like he he thought that he would be able to just like go down and get it within a couple days like it was before covid and it's we're, we're talking about a cooler cooler six feet wide yeah. seven feet high and like 15 feet long yeah and there's All like a thousand movies. there's like two thousand of them in the city, in the city. it's like nothing so it's not it should like, literally be stamp <laughs> yeah exactly. so one of the reasons why i voted for you know the change in city government i'm yeah. hoping yeah you can serve food you can serve beer you can have Customers, but you, put somebody in charge God of forbid you cool anything. Exactly. Right. No, yeah. no, like, <laughs> who cares about local businesses yeah, who want to no, open a damn brewery? Well, no, I it's, Van always always like, like you know, hey, if you guys like got us our permits sooner, and I'm not saying you should like ignore what we're doing, but you should get us our permits in a reasonable time because then you get more tax money. That's right. Yeah. Right. Then you yeah. can pay for more people. You know what I mean? It's it's so, it's 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 infuriating. Yeah. We have been waiting. This is a very simple mechanical permit. We have been waiting for um, almost a month now. Probably five weeks. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. weeks. Yeah, wow. it's, it's, it was early no, it's November. A, it's a, no, it's a, you, but it we, went in in early November. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Ridic- December 14th. Ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So we've been serving beer off jockey boxes and two cask engines. <laughs> but Ridiculous. they have casks. They are yet another brewery in Portland that has casks. So oh, yeah. There's one thing that's there. coming back. It is. So and, hopefully, and hopefully it stays we're trying to drive Patrick it. and I yeah, are, yeah. are definitely trying to do our part. Uh which means the only people who listen to our podcast are the people who tolerate us talking about cask incessantly. Nevertheless, <laughs> you can get cask at the new gigantic yeah. two two uh, hand pulls, no waiting. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I learned this. this is a cool thing. You can request they come with a sparkler. This is now we're getting into cask pedantry. Yeah. Uh, but you can ask the, the bartender to take the the uh, sparkler off if the beer style uh, doesn't call for it, or you just are a nerd who doesn't like sparklers. Who doesn't respect brewers? And you'd, yeah, you'd be a real nerd. Yeah, but you can you'd do, do that. it. You'd be like, yeah. you know, you know where I heard that? I heard yeah. that from the man next to me, Van Havoc. So yeah. it's, it's yeah. come pedantic. To the pedantic, going back. To, yeah, uh, Jeff. So when we were like, uh, when we were remodeling the location, it had one of your stickers on it. <gasps> one of your proper oh, pint proper stickers. Pint. Yeah. It did. Yeah, it did. Oh it, did. My it, did. it did. It did. And you know what? And then we took that window out. Every, <laughs> because of the sticker. Every yeah. brewery, I, I, I'll take a victory lap. I don't know if it was me or if it was just timing and coincidence, but yeah. every brewery now serves a proper pint, or they or they they don't serve a pint, but they tell you what how much it yeah, is. I'm holding up a, a ten ounce glass, mm-hmm. and so they'll tell you, you know, it's twelve, whatever it is. B- <laughs> BT Dubs. But you tell them what it is. Yeah. BT Dubs gigantic. Brewery location, Southeast 26 and Steel, Imperial Pint. Imperial Pint. 20, 20 is, ounces of beer. Which is another people. thing we didn't get into about pint prices, is pint volumes and the whole thing, but we're at one hour and 12 seconds, so we should shut this down. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That'll be for part three. <laughs> shut yeah, it down right. like Morocco did to Spain and Portugal. <laughs> that's right, but not Respect but failed, But failed to do that. That's right. So this okay. is, they haven't bought it. Uh, yeah, so come check out... Uh, Gigantic Brewing at one of the three locations here in Portland, Oregon. And thanks, guys. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Again, thanks to uh, Ben and Van for their insights. And also, um, these are two guys who are always super transparent, and I really appreciate that. They don't uh, censor themselves, so they tell you exactly how their business is and what they think about their business and what they think about the industry. And that was yeah. that candor is appreciated. The one question I never got in, and I'm just still curious about this, maybe at some point you can ask, is that for a long time there was a lot of what I would call coopetition among local breweries, craft breweries, there was yeah, a yeah, sense yeah. of a rising tide floats all boats and yeah. a lot of cooperation and brewers would swap 
advice and stories and uh, and I wonder if that's still true or if it's starting to become a little more uh, competitive. I think it's still true. I think so too. That's my impression. all the collaborations I see and all the times I see brewers getting together and hanging out and talking to each other, I think it's still pretty more more or less true. Yeah. By the way, you say tasting something or other. We'll just say that uh, that Van gave us a little taste of his upcoming uh, Tamave check. Out of our conditioning tank. Out of the conditioning tank. Woohoo! Which is lovely. It is really lovely. It's good. He... He talks about uh, uh, the secret ingredient being a melanoidin malt uh, in the, that, that he included, and I I think it's really important piece of yeah. So he said that, and I nodded like I knew what he was talking about. What does a melanoidin malt do? Um, melanoidin malt is a thing that does. Melanoidins are these kind of texture compounds, um, and I think they have a little bit of a kind of a warming. Warm, warm bread thing, but mostly their texture, uh-huh. and it's good because, as we talked about in pod, I'm gonna say 81 <laughs> randomly, uh, where we talked about Czech beer, uh, the importance of decoction mashing and the texture of Czech lagers. Yeah. So I I feel like this really accomplishes what a tamavi wants to be, which is a full round beer as opposed to a schwarz beer, which is gonna be. Uh, the, the Bavarian equivalent of a black beer that's much uh, drier and uh, less full. Yeah, so I, think, I think they really nailed this one. Yeah, I think it's uh, fantastic. I imagine it'll be out relatively soon. He didn't tell us what he's going to call it, but no, he called it a tamave. But I doubt seriously they'll mention that word anywhere on the table because <laughs> that seems like commercial death. To me. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, a few words. Wait, go- before we do that, I have one comment. Yes. Which is, I am taking the entire month of January off. Good for you. So uh, we will not be podcasting. So it's going to be a little while, which will not be at all uh, unusual for this podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, had had you not mentioned it, I don't think anyone no, would have noticed. Nobody would have noticed, but I still wanted to be transparent. But in that entire month of January, we're going to be working super hard on coming up with an extra. No, wonderful, super podcast for everybody. You can do that. I'm, I'm, I'm shutting down. I'm turning everything off. I'm leaving the building. So I'll come back, tanned, rested, and ready to go. All right, excellent. I'll have you. I will be tanned because we're going to Hawaii for two weeks. Very nice. Yeah, I'll be uh, dreaming of Hawaii while you're there in in the gray, damp, (laughs) miserable Portland winter. Thank you. Yes, I'll, 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 when we do the comeback, I will tell you all about it. All right, good for you. Uh, a few words going out. Please subscribe to us on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions or comments to jeff at beervonablog.com or on Twitter and Instagram at beervonapod. Jeff blogs at the Beervana blog, and he tweets at beervana. And Patrick tweets at beernomics. All right. Uh, I still have a little bit of my tamavi left. I, I, you, have well, a, you have a few drips. I have enough that I think that... Whatever. It's a legitimate. It's legitimate. Cheers, yeah. All right, cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick.